Welcome to Days of Roar, our Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I am here with newly married, newly minted, newly husbanded Evan Petzl, beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. How you doing, Ev? Mr. Ev, Mr. Savannah Petzl. <laughs> married life is uh, is good life. So far, so good. I'm enjoying it. Um, we definitely enjoyed our time off. Thank you for holding things down on the pod while I was gone. Um, I listened to the episode. You guys had some nice things to say about both of us, and um, we really appreciated it. We appreciate all your support through all this. I mean, man, you, you have been great for me navigating times and schedules and making this happen. I mean, days of roar after dark will continue on into the off season, I'm sure. But like, you know, just being flexible with my time, understanding that I had a lot going on, especially, you know, in the weeks leading up to the wedding and then finally got to the day and it was awesome. It, it was great. I and mean, it was everything that we could have hoped for. It was great to have our family and friends there. Um, I mean, obviously the, the church that we got married in was beautiful. It's a church that Savannah grew up in. Um, the venue for our reception, like that all turned out great. And, um, we just had an awesome night together with, you know, our, our closest family, our closest friends, smaller wedding. So it was a pretty intimate setting, but at the same time, um, you know, we did have our people there and, and that was really special to both of us. So thanks again for holding it down, but, uh, now I'm back and you're stuck with me. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm fine being stuck with you. And I want to once again, thank, uh, Scott Bentley. He just did a tremendous job coming on co-hosting. Yeah. Thank you. He does do it uh, multiple times a week. He is a pro. He knows what's up and uh, does a lot of fun doing stuff with him. I'm sure we'll have him back on as a guest maybe one day. And I'm so happy that you had a great time. And you do know that I am so nice to you because I like this. I like Savannah. You do know that, though. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I, I like know. her, too. I do. It's good. You should like her. Okay. Right. Yeah. You are in for just a lot of learning in the next 40 years and you'll find out. So, uh, let's talk about some baseball. So, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was interesting coming back, right? Cause you kind of get thrown back into the fire. That's the hardest thing about being gone for as long as I was. So I, I finished up, um, on September 3rd and that was that last game against the white Sox. And then I missed the series against the Yankees and then missed the series against the white Sox back at home. And so kind of get thrown back into it. And, I thought they played pretty decent baseball against the Reds, but at the same time, they, you know, kind of shot themselves in the foot at times where they really needed to to come out with a win. I mean, they lost both the first two games by one run and they won they went out and they pounded them on on Thursday. They won eight to two. And that's a series where you look back and you say, Yeah, like the Tigers probably should have taken all three. Like they had a chance to win all three. They didn't. I think that's kind of where they're at as a team right now. But at the same time, they played good enough to win. They just didn't kind of get that 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 big moment. They didn't get that big hit when they needed to. There was some mixed execution and, and and that really killed them in that series. And then they turned around and, you know, figured it out against the angels who the angels without Otani and trout. I mean, they're nothing at this point. It's, it's an absolute dumpster fire. And, you know, they, they won all three games there, honestly, as they should at this point. I mean, when you don't have Otani and trout in that lineup and, you know, things are as dysfunctional as they are just with the fact that it was a team that, you know, trade deadline was around and, and they were making moves even after that, when, you know, guys were being placed on waivers, they were making pickups and then everything just kind of falls to shambles. I mean, that, that was a team that the Tigers, you know, should have gone in there and beat them. And they did a really good job of doing that. So they met my expectations in that series, maybe not so much against the Reds, but they were in all those games. They had a chance to, to win them all. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, they play how they play. They, uh, they lack, let's say, 
more than 50% of the time, real defensive execution. And when Baez isn't in the game, it really gets kind of questionable. When he's in the game, it's so noticeable how much better defensively they are. And all those small things in close games are what help you win close games. They should have beat the Reds all three days. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Uh, just didn't execute well enough to do it. It's the story of their season. So I don't want to get into the minutia of these games anymore because some of these teams they're playing are just so, so horrible that I would be besides my, beside myself if they did not beat them. Uh, I feel very bad for Perry Manashian. He's doing everything humanly possible to hold that team together. I think Artie Moreno should have his franchise revoked. And, you know, every time I feel so bad about Chris Illich being our owner, I think to myself, wow, you could have uh, John Fisher or, or, you know, or Artie Moreno as our owner. And then it would really, we would understand what it is to have terrible ownership. So we're three and two on the week. We're 10 and five in September. We're 38 and 36 on the road. All good things. All A.J. Hinch kind of things. Uh, 10 and five in September. Good thing. Uh, I guess we're not tanking anymore. What's really been surprising, we're going to get into it, is damn, some of the pitching's been really good. I mean, Tarek Skubal, I, 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 you know, for those of you who are too young to have ever had any idea what it looked like, but it looked a lot like Sandy Koufax the other night. It was, it was quite amazing. It was just toying with them. It was like a giant lion playing with small children. It was, it was amazing stuff from Scooby, especially the first four innings. Just, they had no chance almost. So I don't know how much of that, did you see much of that or not? No. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier yeah. in the, in the year too, just about when he was coming back and some of the inconsistencies with not letting some of those innings snowball. And he's really gotten past that and he's taken it in stride. You go back and you look at his last four starts. I mean, it's a, it's a one eight Oh ERA five walks, 34 strikeouts in 25 innings. That's electric factory right there. This is a guy that I think he's gotten over that hump of, because again, all these are, are hurdles when you come back from you know a major surgery and you just kind of have to beat them both mentally and physically. Like it's more than just, oh, go out there and like build your pitch count and you know, take this deep into the game. Like it's like, okay, how do I navigate certain situations that I haven't been in in you know a year plus? And so for him to come back, clear those hurdles, now you got a guy who's up there, he's he's throwing 90 plus pitches every time he goes out there, he's absolutely shoving. So yeah, I love everything that I'm seeing from him. I think the way that he's using his pitches, the way that he's able to adapt and adjust, you know, kind of that bat to at bat if needed or outing to outing. Like it's, if the slider isn't always there, that's okay. Like, you know, I, I got the changeup that I can use. I can throw that left on left. I can throw that to the righties as well. I can, you know, there are different things that he can do to mix and match and maneuver. And that's what makes him so special because all of his pitches are plus pitches. And that, that's, that's just what makes him so good. So the ceiling is incredibly high. It has been, you know, kind of all the time, like it's always been, been pretty high. And, you know, the, the velo where it's at, like there's just so much to love about Tarek Skubal and what he's doing. Al, it, what, about, so what, about, what about in the first two innings when he was throwing 98, 99 I mean, finish hitters off? Right, and I was just, just like, like they, they, want, they wanted to swing, but they couldn't even get the bat started. And it was just went off like a giant M80 and... <laughs> and Mark, that's, that, that's what makes him different is because he has that extra gear. He can go there. And, and that, that's what makes him such a difference maker on the mound is, yes, all the stuff is, is nasty, of course. 
But not every guy can do that. Not every guy can sit, you know, 96-ish and then really crank it up and go up to 99 if needed. Like he has that in the tank. And that's what makes him so good. That's what makes him special. I love watching him pitch. I, I said it, um, I, again, like I said it last season, you know, at the beginning of the year, I said, hey, like, look, this guy's dealing. And it was before he got injured. It was before he had a couple rough starts, you know, kind of around around the injury and stuff like that. But it was like, man, this guy could win the Cy Young. Like if he keeps this up and going into next year, like, Tarek Skubal Cy Young watch. Like, I think it's real. It has to be real. And it has to be on everyone's radar. It, it's it's even better now than it was in the first 11, 12 starts last year. It, it's, it's, more sophi- sure. it's more sophisticated now, dude. It's, I mean, in the, in the fifth and sixth inning, I almost was mad because it was like he was bored and he was like, you know, I, I I need to work in some breaking balls here. I need to work in some breaking balls and some change-ups. I'm kind of bored because it's they can't hit my fastball, so I'm going to see if I can challenge myself and get him out with off-speed stuff instead. And and he did. And yeah, I mean, look, look they, I mean, the Angels had 11 <laughs> swings and misses on 15 change-ups, on 15 swings on the change-ups. So, I mean, they, they swung 15 times. They whiffed 11 times against the change-up. That's nasty. Ironically, what happened the next night when SGL threw... And he threw, I think, nine change-ups, and they missed eight. Yep. <laughs> it it And it was a totally different level of sequencing the next night from... Uh, from Sawyer Gibson-Long? From Sawyer Gibson-Long. And, and, you know, it's a lot. The Tigers have not had a pitcher that... What I'll, I'll explain it this way. They have not had a... And, and listen... SGL has a pretty decent fastball. It has more on it than you're expecting, especially because he's setting you up with so much spin and change-ups. And, but there is, they have not had a pitcher that got you out with what I call wiggle in a long time. And Gibson Long has a lot of wiggle. His fastball's got a lot of wiggle. That It's, you know... Wait until he learns how to use a four-seamer at the top of the zone to go with that sinker. And the sinker and the changeup just tunnel so perfectly with each other. And, you know, it's he had 23 swings and misses. Yes, granted, he was facing a triple-A team that contained maybe one legitimate major league hitter, unless you want to call Walsh a legitimate major league hitter, but he's not the Walsh of... Two years ago, yet. no, no. Uh, the thing that but, we need to see though is is teams are going to adjust to him, right? They're going to get the game plan. They're going to mm, try to expose him. No, I know. I'm not. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a way that I think he's adaptable because he's able to mix his pitches and he's able to use, you know, different secondary pitches as weapons. Like I think that's the good thing. I think that makes him like when you look at his floor. Like I see him as a floor of like a number five guy in your rotation. And that's really good. I think the upside is even higher than that. Tarek Skubal, I think his floor is like a number two in your rotation. And I think his upside is like, you know, Cy Young caliber type dude, which I, I think that's kind of what he is. But that's encouraging. And I know we got to get to that later. We got to get to the big no, two. But, but, you know, but here, here's what I want to say to you. Like, you know, when you and I talk about these things, a lot of it is what I call baseball minutia. It's like two chefs. It's like, it's like two chefs discussing cooking. All right. It could be super boring to some people, but to other people, that's why they watch cooking shows. They love it. You know, the idea of, you know, Gibson Long and, and Scooble being paired together, 
in a rotation one after the other. That's what I'm talking about. That's two totally different styles that are really difficult to hit that are on consecutive days that leverage each other. That's what thinking. But that's teams what I love, do. though. That's stuff. Yes. But that's that's just a ton of stuff. You're throwing you're throwing a ton of stuff at, at teams, right? Whether it's Tarek Skubal, I mean, just a ton of stuff, like overwhelming. Sawyer Gibson Long, like the stuff so far. I want to see more out of the fastball and see kind of how he mixes and, and matches moving forward. Teams will adjust. They will eliminate certain pitches that they can, and they will try to take advantage of him. Let's see how he adapts to that. But Reese Olsen, he, he probably he might have the best stuff on the entire team. But he might. He might have the best just raw stuff on the entire roster. He doesn't have the fastball that Tarek Skubal has. No way. But just from a pure secondary stuff, he might have the best uh, that the Tigers have. So like with those three guys in particular, and we'll see what Casey Mize is when he comes back, you are throwing a ton of stuff at teams. That's why I'm not as high on Matt Manning anymore. Like I, I, I really like the potential, but at the same time, there's just not a lot of stuff there. It well, will. see, I, I, I feel differently about that than you. I, it's a different I like, way of pitching, I, but I, it's. I, I like how difficult he is to hit, but at the same time, you're starting to get a re. You when you have Reese Olson, SGL, Casey Mize, and Matt Manning, you're getting some redundancy in in of three of those guys. There's some similarities in style. Okay. You know, Gibson Long is a unique style. The other three have some crossover in style, all right? So what you have to make a decision about, and we're going to talk about this a little later, is you. I'm not sure what their targets would be, but I'd be listening if people wanted to have a discussion about Matt Manning, I'd be listening. It's okay. hard with the injury history, though. That was the biggest. I disagree with you about that I, in, in only this way. Okay. As an example, take a it look. Does, at, but it does decrease the value. That's the point that I'm making. But take a, take a look at it. I don't think it decreases value as much as you may think because teams that are shrewd, that like stuff, they tend to overlook that more than you think because, all right, take a look at the type of pitchers that Tampa deals for. Look at Eflin this year, who's a guy who's never been anything but hurt. He got the biggest contract from Tampa they've ever signed for a free agent. Look at the year he had. He's never been healthy, okay? When they traded for Tyler Glass now, never been healthy, all right? Still not healthy, but they dealt for him and optimized him. Good team. Look, Rodon, Yankees signed him, had an Endless stream of arm injuries. He's been right, ter- right, but 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 been Mark, terrible. My point is that San Francisco signed him. Stay, but but in yes, Rodon's been terrible this year, but I still think he'll be good next year. But okay. Eflin has stuff. That's my point. Like like I, I'm sorry, but like my take on Matt Manning is like, and this this even goes beyond the injury stuff. And, and we don't. I I feel like we don't need to dig too deep into this. But right. like the reality is, is he doesn't have a lot of stuff. Like Zach Eflin goes out there and he. 26% strikeout rate, something like that. Like he, he's up there. It, like go look at it. Go look at his savant page. Like it's a lot of red, which is good. You want, you want red, you don't want blue. I, I, and I just, Matt Manning doesn't have any swing and miss stuff. So the question is going to be, does a team think that they can optimize him to get yes, that out of him? Yes. Well, you know what? The Tigers have been, Chris Fetter has been trying to do that for, you know, the past like three years and hasn't been he, able to do it. He, so he, he gets people out, dude. That, that's, that's a, that's the 
basis. It's at the genesis of how you look at it. The other thing I'll say to you, and it's a bad comparison, but it is something to keep in mind. Go look at Justin Verlander's strikeout rate in 2006. Go tell me what it was, okay? Because it was under seven. Even Matt Manning's not Justin Verlander. Let's not play games But what I'm saying to you is guys, as time go on, that have decent stuff and elite extension learn how to you know, finish hitters off to strike them out. Maybe, but like the expected ERA and the regular ERA, like they're, they are not closely aligned with Matt Manning, which tells me that he is hittable. But, but I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, and and that was not a knock at Chris Better either. I think that if Chris Better can't do it, I don't know if anybody can do it. Well, all I'm saying is, is that, you know, when it comes to Matt Manning, he is a very arguable pitcher. You can take a lot of directions in the argument. All right, let's get to the big two. That was that was fun discussing some of that <laughs> stuff, and some of this stuff we are discussing is going to be in the big two. Um, and now we're gonna and I I am want to clarify when I ask you this question in the big two. I am not casting aspersions on how good a player I think Max Clark would be. Okay, oh, but we're going you got here, aren't we? you got to ask some questions because oh, it, it is fun. All right, all right. Big two, question number one. You ever wonder what 2024 would look like in a full lineup if you had Colt, Keith, and Wyatt Langford to the existing lineup? So I want you to think about an outfield of Wyatt Langford, Parker Meadows, and Riley Green. And then I want you to think of a lineup that has uh, Col- And Col- Gary Carpenter Col- and Justin Honey Malloy. Like, where does he fit? Well, I think Kerry Carpenter, I, I, I think that if I had Wyatt Langford, I'd be worried about playing Justin Henry Malloy about as much as uh, Elon Musk is worried about getting another billion. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be too worried about Justin Henry Malloy if I had Wyatt Langford to be really well. If Wyatt Langford was in the Tigers organization, I don't think he would be in AAA right now, which has just happened. So let's, I want, I want to say that first and foremost, just based on the Tigers trend of their development process and how they're pushing guys and, you know, how quickly or not quickly they're moving guys up the farm system. He played three games in rookie ball, 24 games in, in high A, 11 games in double A, and now Wyatt Langford has been promoted to triple A. And how's he doing? How's he doing been, so far? You know, he's been hitting the piss out of the ball, as <laughs> they would say. He's gotten over 1,000 OPS. Yeah, he's I mean, the wall, 11, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, he's walking, he's walking a ton. There, he's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. It I looks think, really good. I think there's been two deaths. There's been 17 people fainted. It, 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 it's <laughs> He's... <laughs> he's... Uh, He's hit the living daylight. So for people baseball. for people who don't know, just to, to make sure they all understand, the Tigers had the number three overall pick in the 2023 draft. They went with Max Clark, a center fielder, um, a high schooler, young kid, obviously. Um, going to have to work his way up. It's going to take some time. But by going with Max Clark, they passed on Wyatt Langford, who went number four to the Texas Rangers. The Rangers um, are very clearly in win-now mode. Their, their lineup is loaded. Um, go check it out. And yeah, I mean... Wyatt Langford is going to look really good on the Texas Rangers in 2024. Would he look as good on the Tigers in 2024? Yeah, maybe, but like, we'll see how that all pans out. I, I, I don't like to play the game of like, what if, because I think it's kind of bullshit. Like you I go back and you look I, at, I, I think, think it is. I think it's fun. I think uh, it's, fun. and I think in this particular case, why it's so much fun is because 60 days ago, they had a chance to do this and they 
took another tact. And okay, but let me let me bring up this point really quick. The Jackson Joe Marcel and Meyer conversation. We had that conversation five months ago, and it's like, oh, Marcel and Meyer all day. Like they should have picked him, of course. Of course, and I that still was a feel that. Way. And, and and I did a little homework on this because I knew that we would have do to talk about He's, this I mean, tonight. Do you though? Do you though? Yep. Because Marcel and Meyer is injured and. He hit 189 in double A in he 43 hit, games. Right. He also he also <laughs> hit over a 900 OPS in high A before they promoted him, and he was hurt for 100 at-bats out of his 160 at-bats. What's more challenging, double A or high A? Well, of course, double A. But my point is, is that, you know, I will take – how about this? I will take a four-war shortstop over a four-war pitcher any day of the week, not – that there's any difference between the four war, but you know, the bottom line is, is they're pretty hard to come by and uh, you got to switch. I like, it. I like Marcel Meyer, but what if he's not a four war shortstop Mark? Well, what if uh, Jackson Job is Casey Mize? Right. But what we're looking at right now from everything that I'm seeing right now in this present moment, which is exactly how we have to evaluate this because we don't know how it's going to turn out three years down the road. We have to look at where we're at right now and right now, you got to feel much better about Jackson Job than you do about Marcelo Meyer. Whereas, Real, do I? Five months, whereas five months ago, you feel better about Marcelo Meyer than you do about Jackson Job. That's just how wait, this goes. Wait a second. That, that's do, how this goes. Yes. Do I? Oh, of course. Do I? Because because you know. Is, do you? Marcelo Meyer hit one eighty nine in forty three games in Double A, and now he's hurt. Okay. Well, Jackson Job's thrown one game in Double A, and Jackson Job has done nothing but shove. He thrown one game in Double A. He threw sixty. He threw fifty four innings in the combination of rookie ball, low A and high A, and he had an ERA of three. Marcelo Meyer had a nine hundred OPS in high A. He's a switch hitting shortstop. He had double digit home runs. So what what are we really comparing here? So I guess that's can, the point. Then why are we even doing this? Well, but I, I didn't bring up Marcelo Meyer. You did. No, I'm no. I'm just saying it from the point of of comparing prospect to prospect and trying to say, hey, who's going to be better or who is better right now? Like, from my pick, from what I see, I see Jackson Job not walking anybody, racking up a ton of strikeouts. The swing and miss stuff is real. I do think that there is some hitability there that he's going to have to navigate. It all comes down to the fastball. I think they did a really good job of having him add the cutter, which has been huge for him. He worked on the changeup a lot. Oh, the coming back up. off the back injury. I, I know. It's good. It, it's really it, good. It's it's really good. But and the cutter's that, been great to get, get opposing hitters off the fastball because the fastball can be hittable at times despite its velocity. So, I mean, sure, you can nitpick any of these guys. I just think that what I'm seeing right now from Jackson Job is he's not walking at anybody. He's striking out a ton. And he looked really good in his first double A start. We'll see where that goes. Nobody knows. We won't know till next year. But I feel better about him than a guy who had 43 games in double A was no good and then got injured. Mm, but he was no good because he was injured. He was injured. That was the reason why he struggled to hit in double A. He's not going to struggle to hit. I guess we'll see when he. I guess. I guess. I guess we'll see when he comes back. I'm not saying that he's going to either. I'm not saying he's going to struggle to hit in Double A for the rest of his life. I mean, you go look at a guy like I don't know Parker Meadows. You're throwing a name out there. Somebody who took a long time and finally started to hit. Like at some point, sure, he'll make the adjustment. He'll start hitting. But I don't think you can talk. I don't think you can chalk up a 189 batting average and a, you know, again, it's a 609 OPS in 43 games. You can't chalk that all up to it to an injury. You just can't. Yes, you can. If it's a shoulder no. injury and you can't swing the bat well. 
it's like asking, you know, if a pitcher can't throw well because he's got arm issues and he lost two miles in command off his fastball, then, you know, you understand why guys don't throw well. So I think well, then, it's, then, then, then they never should have promoted him because he was hurt. Huh? We got He got hurt in double A. He hurt his shoulder. That's what happened. Yeah. After he played 43 games and was no good. Not accurate. That's not how it went down. But look, we don't have to continually debate Marcelo Meyer for According 10 minutes on our podcast. According to who? According to who regarding what? According to who it didn't go down like that. According to the way it's been explained, what occurred when he played in double I don't know, man. I, I, I've seen wrist uh, a right wrist issue, a back issue in 2022, and then this year he was fine and then struggled when he moved up a level and then had the injury. So I, that, I, I, he, he, I didn't see he had the injury that. and then he struggled and then they DL'd him. That that's how it went down. So, all right. My, my point is it, it's fun to think about those things and hopefully one day they'll promote Colt Keith. That'll be nice. I hear the last two things they're really upset about is they do not like the way he uh, does his home run trot. And they're extremely upset that he does not pack his suitcase for road trips uh, neat enough and he needs to keep working on it. And uh, he uh, hopefully will be ready by uh, spring training next year to be considered to be on the big, on the big club, you know? So uh, that's, that's the rumor, you know, why they've uh, held them back. I do want to give you some credit with Marcelo Meyer. Right? I'm looking it up right now, and it does say that he tried to play through it. But mm. I don't think he tried to play through all 43 games is what I'm saying. But again, you know, to my point, the initial the initial question, though, was Cole Keith and Wyatt Langford in the 2024 lineup. Like, it's it's. do I wonder about it? No, because it's not going to happen. No, and of course it's, it's not going to happen. It's fun to talk about. I mean, I guess. How, listen, dude, all I'm saying to you is how fun would it have been if they would have had gonads to have started a year with with Torkelson, Green, Carpenter, Keith, and Langford all in the opening day lineup, knowing you had a chance that Jace Young could come up, you know, within the first 90 days of the season. And you you got uh Jakey Rogers catching. You, you, it's kind of fun then. And then if we can rehab Javi Baez, which we talked about last week quite a bit, and I'm not asking Javi Baez to be old Javi Baez. I'm asking Javi Baez to be 240 and hit 20 homers. I mean, he could hit seven, 240, 20 homers and play the shortstop he is now. I mean, you got... Don't hold a, your breath. No, but I'm saying you got a pretty damn interesting team you know, so I'm, and they're not going to be far away from that either anyway. So, you know, my point is it takes balls to be good and you have, I, all I hear about is calculated risk. I haven't seen one yet. It's like, I'm afraid to fail. I, you know, what happens if somebody does bad? Okay. But, you know, look, you don't think Parker Meadows for all the struggles he's had in his last 45 at bats is going to be better for it once he learns what it takes to have 
put a good swing on the baseball. His and that's the, and that's the and that's the part of me that doesn't understand. Like, where's Cole Keith and where's Justin Henry Malloy right now? That's the part of me that doesn't understand that. I mean, I, I again, I, I I try to understand. I try to get it. I try to see both sides of it. But like that is always kind of in the back of my head. It's where it's so like, weird. Uh, Parker it's... Meadow, Parker Meadows is going through it. He needs to get back on fastballs. I had a good talk with him about it. Like. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He's getting beat by high velocity fastballs and he needs to be able to get on those pitches to succeed at this level. But you know what? He knows. He, now he, he knows. He knows that's what he's struggling with and he he's better come to spring training ready to hit some high velo. Like, right. He's yes. not beating the ball to the spot. It's a lot of a lot of what happened to Torque last year. But here's what I'll say to you about Meadows. If you watch the at-bats, the at-bats no, are at really bats. good. Oh, they're amazing. Because they're look, really good. Walks. That's the thing. He's still yeah, walking a ton. That's huge. I, 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 at this point in time, am not worried at all about Parker Meadows. I actually am weirdly encouraged by it. And, you know, to say that all the other things that he does... You know, the def- the defense is just, it's almost unfair sometimes watching him because he makes difficult things look so routine. His base running is, you know, borderline outstanding. It brings certain elements to the game, subtle parts that are important. And if he hit at, you know, I really think that he will hit 15 homers and steal 20 bases next and year. And maybe that's some of the concern from the Tigers standpoint, because you just, and, and this is just, Again, this is my speculation about what the Tigers might be thinking because I have heard, you know, it's the base running and it's the defense for Keith and Malloy. You just named off several things that Parker Meadows does very well aside from hitting. Hear me out. Just hear me out. That he does aside from hitting. Things that still bring value to this team when he's not hitting. If Colt Keith is not hitting, if Malloy is not hitting, are those guys right now ready to still put up outstanding at-bats and contribute in other facets of the game. And that's where I think maybe the Tigers are coming from saying, no, maybe not yet. Maybe maybe their offensive struggles will then translate over to their defense or their base running, or they'll start to make mental mistakes, or they'll get way too aggressive at the plate and their at-bats will, will, will go to crap because you know they're hunting pitches to try to hit because they just want to you know snap out of that 0 for 28. Parker Meadows was in like a, a 0 for 27, 0 for 28 slump and was still putting up amazing at-bats, drawing walks, and making contributing, great plays defensively. And, right, and contributing to, to the good aspects of the game. Now, I'm going sure. to answer your question with an honest answer. And here's what I have to say about it. Would you prefer that that aspect of their indoctrination to the major leagues and their learning curve and their struggles occur when the games were essentially meaningless to the standings? Or would you prefer that they occurred when they had meaning to the standings? For sure. No, no, that's what I said initially. Is That's still that voice in the back of my head that says, well, wouldn't you rather than just like figure that out now as opposed to, you know, next year when you're, I would assume, I hope, you really want to win something? So yeah, we got to take a break, but yeah. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. All right, let's get to uh, second question, the big two. Uh, All of a sudden, there's rumors that uh, Scott Harris wants to name a GM. So it's come out of nowhere. Nothing comes out of nowhere for no reason. The only place I really saw it was from J.P. Morosi. 
And God knows I love J.P. Morosi. I can't remember the last time he broke a story, but okay. So he started talking about it. So my ear to the ground, my Dick Tracy, my uh, my man in the know, Evan Petzold, what are you hearing? I've been a little unplugged, man, because of the wedding. But look, I, I think this is like something that's been ongoing. Um, it's not something that was like active during the season where, hey, okay, like we're putting on this like full court press to find a general manager. But at the same time, it's like, you don't think Scott Harris is at a short list since the day he was hired of guys that, you know, he wants as his general manager at one point. I do think that there was like an evaluation period of filling out the organization. I think you do have to kind of get in there. You have to see what you have. You also have to see where your weaknesses are and identify areas where, okay, I'm going to need some help here. Or this is maybe, and again, not trying to like knock on Scott Harris or anything like that. But at the same time, I think, you know, nobody is a perfect human being. Nobody is a perfect president of baseball operations. That's why guys lose their jobs in this game. Right. So like you have to identify the weak spots, both in yourself and in the organization and say, okay, where do we really need to like amp this thing up? And so now we're getting to that point where the season's coming to a close and it's about time to, to make a hire at some point. You want to get that guy locked in preferably before the off season gets started um, so am I surprised to hear any of this? Absolutely not. This is kind of how Scott Harris has laid it out. Hey, I'm going to take the season. I'm going to evaluate. I'm going to see what we have. I'm not, you know, searching for a, a GM right now. I, I got to worry about the draft. I got to worry about the trade deadline. Like there were stuff that he had to take care of, but now it's about time to, to make that move. And, you know, there are some names that kind of stand out to me. I have no idea if these guys are being considered. This is purely speculation, but like, there's a list of dudes that kind of makes some sense for, for different reasons. And I'm interested, Mark, to know, you know, after I name these guys off, like, what do you think the Tigers need? Like, where do you think as somebody who watched from the outside, who has that fan perspective, and I'll give my two cents on it as well, but where do they really need help moving forward? And some of the names that jump out, Zach Manazian, Perry, uh, you know, Perry, right? Like brother, he's somebody that's, yeah. Vice president of professional scouting with the giants. I think he makes a ton of sense because I think the Tigers need, I think the Tigers need help on their professional scouting side. I think they cleaned up the amateur scouting side. They already have that in place. I think Ryan Garko does an amazing job with the farm system. He's locked in. You got to feel so good about Ryan Garko. You feel really good about the combination of Rob Metzler and Mark Connor handling the amateur, uh, the amateur side of things, but you really need somebody, I think, in professional scouting who's going to beef that up and, and really give you an advantage when you're looking to make you know impactful trades. And also when you're looking to pull off those blockbuster deals. I think somebody like Zach Manazian could be huge for this organization. Other guys on the list that make some sense for different reasons, Matt Dory, um, who's been with the Chicago Cubs. He's done a lot of everything. Um, right now he's currently, I think the VP of player personnel, but has an amateur scouting background also has a, a short stint as a farm director there with the Cubs. Andrew Bassett is another name from the Cubs who might make some sense. He's been there since the early 2010s. Um, he's now the director of pro scouting and a special assistant to the president and general manager. He can make some sense because he has that, you know, pro scouting background. He's been working in that, in that department. Again, that's the area that I think the Tigers need some help. James Harris III, I think he's a name that could make some sense. Cleveland Guardians assistant GM, he's been a, a farm director. So I don't know if the Tigers really need that type of background in the GM chair because they, they have a great farm director um, and a guy running the show in Ryan Garko. So maybe James Harris doesn't exactly fit, but I do think that that'd be an interesting name to watch. I mean, he does have a fascinating background working with the NFL. 
And then obviously there's Heim Bloom. I don't think that's happening. Um, he was recently fired by the Boston Red Sox. I just don't see him, you know, working as a general manager under a president of baseball operations. Like not any day. I'm not even so, gonna have. I'm not even having that conversation. Okay. I think he would have been great so, with the White Sox, but anyway. I, I, I think that was the guy the White Sox should have hired. I wanted him to hire. I wanted Illich to hire him in 2017. That but anyway, Mark, I just, but, let, I just threw a ton at you. Like, where are you at? Here's what I was going to say to you. First of all, was that an unbelievable list? My partner just threw down on that list, okay? He was bringing the heat. And please edit that out. That was a great list. And I mean, Zach Manazian makes a lot of sense. Like, I... I, I I think it makes a ton of sense. Here's what makes a ton of sense to me. I think Scott Harris's strongest suit, okay, is data analysis, trend analysis. You know, he's really, really good at that stuff. He's he's a pure analytics, borderline genius. What I really think they need to bring to the table is a scouting eye, uh, and that's why... You know, the idea of Zach Manasian was an outstanding choice. It's exactly the kind of person that I think would make a good partner for Scott. You know, even if it was somebody even more experienced than that with the same type of credentials. The other thing wouldn't shock me that they would give some consideration to is if they hired somebody with, you know, if they would consider promoting Garko and hiring somebody in player development to replace Garko or promoting from within, that would be another thought. I don't think it's at top of mind, but it wouldn't shock me if it is something they would consider. Garko's done a ridiculously good job here. And I think you can just look at how pitchers got developed this year as an example of what's going on in the Detroit farm system from Lorenzen going backwards, you know, Olsen, SGL, it's, you know, there's a pretty long list. Kyder Montero, look at how much they've polished Job. There's, Scooble is much more polished than he used to be. So at the top of the pile, down in the pile, at the bottom of the pile, they're touching everybody and improving everyone. So they have something going on there. I'm not sure they want to disrupt it, but Ryan Garko's done a hell of a job since he's got here. And he's also got some scouting chops. So I. Hey, I, and re- real quick, too, I want to leave it at this with Manasian, too. I don't want to, you know, kind of hammer that home like it's going to happen or anything, because like I said, that's just me speculating and me kind of using some common sense to, to think about who makes a lot of sense. But like, you know, there are some like Midwestern ties with him and, and, and people in his family. And there's probably some intrigue to, to come to Detroit and, and be in this area um, and be in the Midwest again. So I have no idea what his relationship with Scott Harris was like. I don't know, you know, how he feels about, you know, the current state of the San Francisco Giants and, and, and what that looks like moving forward. Like, um, you know, again, kind of underwhelming um, with what's going on with the Giants. So, you know, maybe it's a good time for him to to bounce and make a move. Like to me, again, like all those kind of things align, and you say, "Hey, man, that makes a lot of sense," and, and got the the pro scouting background. So we'll see what happens. I, I have no idea who's really on a list or who's getting calls at this point. I got to yeah. do some more digging on that. But and, and again, Scott Harris is going to keep it super close to the vest. He's not going right. to want anyone to know who he's calling or, or what, what's actually going on. So we might not even have an idea until something comes out. But, but it's fun for Evan and Mark to talk about. For sure. So, All right. So teams on the West Coast, 
Riley Green, Green's now been hurt for, you know, Almost over, o- o- over over two weeks. Um, we have our own spin on this, but I think before we start getting into that, and you know, when it comes to injury stuff, I especially as much as we love Riley, I I hate to speculate it. But just, they're leaving us no choice. Well, well, we'll do a little bit, but it just aggravates them. And I like to keep Riley on our good side. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that I feel very confident if it hasn't already happened, it may happen tomorrow that I'm sure Riley's got an appointment with Dr. Neil Elitrash, the Dodgers doctor, um, to look at his elbow. And I would expect by Tuesday we'll get some clarity as to what's going on here. I mean, it seems unusual that you would have a UCL problem from a dive like that, but it's not impossible either. And if that's the case, I think they're deciding between a full UCL surgery or what they call bridge surgery, which is a modified version of UCL where they stabilize it and use methodology to wrap it. It heals you know, probably six months quicker. It's his right arm. He doesn't really need it to throw. So, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about that. I'm curious if you're getting any feedback from, you know, it's kind of unusual to wait this long, right? No, it is unusual. And that's the thing is that it's still listed as elbow inflammation and the inflammation has subsided, but there has not been an update as to what the actual injury is, whether it's ligament, whether it's bone, like whatever it is, like that just hasn't been said yet. And at some point, like I think you can't just keep chalking it up to elbow inflammation when there's no longer mm-hmm. elbow inflammation. Right. So yeah. th- that's why he's able to get those scans because the inflammation has gone down. But but Mark, that's what's kind of frustrating to me is it's like people are you know saying, hey, you know, do your job, do your job. Like what's going on? And it's like, well, when you go up to Riley Green and you say, hey, what doctors have you been visiting? And he says, you talked to AJ Hinch about that. And then you go to AJ Hinch and you say, AJ Hinch, what doctors have Riley Green been visiting? And he said, oh, you got to talk to Riley Green about that. And that, that's where it kind of gets a little bit frustrating. So Riley wasn't with the Tigers one day because he went to see an out-of-state doctor. Now, obviously, he's traveling with the team. They're going to be on the West Coast. It, it, you can kind of connect the dots, and I don't like to speculate on this stuff too much, but the two, you know, elbow guys that, you know, Tigers players go to see, they, they go see Dr. Keith Meister, the Texas Rangers, and they go see Dr. Neil Elitrash with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so you put the pieces together and you know he was, you know, visiting an out-of-state doctor and then now he's going to LA. You know he's had three opinions, one from the Tigers, one from the out-of-state doctor who, you know, I, I would assume is Meister, but you know, we don't know that for sure. And then you know he's getting a third opinion coming up soon that, he, that he's looking forward to getting. And, you know, you would assume that he's going to do that when he's in LA and that, you know, could be Elitrash. But again, it would be a lot easier if he just said, hey, look, you know, here's who I'm going to visit. And this is why I'm going to visit. We need to figure this out. Don't really have all the answers yet. I need to take my time. But like, again, not all that has been said. It's been basically like, hey, look, I want to get as many opinions as possible. That's never a bad thing. I totally agree with that. From a player standpoint, I think you get as many opinions as you want before you make a a big career-altering decision. Um, But again, we're just kind of all left in the dark. And that kind of leaves us to speculate, which I hate doing. But yeah. You kind of have to sometimes when you're stuck in a bind like this. I hear you. We're going to know by Tuesday. It's not yeah. worth worrying about too much because we're going to find out in 40 No, but hours. just so people understand the process and how, how kind of all this works sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's pretty point blank. Like the Matthew Boyd, you, you see the injury happen on the field and it's like the next day, hey, he's going to, to, to get a visit. And after that, it's like, okay, boom, it's Tommy John surgery. He's done. 
All right. Well, we're, like I said, we're going to find out Tuesday. So talk to me about what you're hearing about Casey Mize. I know he threw a bullpen. I assume he's going to go and throw a live BP again here next is, to the best of your knowledge, that's what they're going to try for round two on that. Yeah, it sounds like that's the game plan with him. Um, his, his next step is going to be another live BP um, and, and getting that going again. It's been a while, obviously, since he's thrown a live BP. He had the one where he had to shut it down early because he was feeling some fatigue. And, you know, he was not concerned about it at all. The Tigers gave him a quick rest period and he was right back at it with those bullpens. And, and they were just regular bullpens. And now he's going to um, dive back into the live BPs, it seems like. So he had, I think, three regular bullpens after resuming his throwing program. And I believe the next, you know, session that he's going to be, you know, doing coming up um, is going to be the live BP. So at this point, like where the Tigers are at, it's just, hey, we're not going to get this guy into a rehab, you know, assignment anymore just because, you know, you run out of time in the minor leagues and and the season ends. But their game plan is like, look, you know, October 1st, which is the last game of the Tigers season, like that doesn't mean anything for Casey Mize. That, 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 That does not mean anything for him. They want to get his volume built up to where they both feel really good about him going into his offseason program. So maybe that takes, you know, maybe that goes until October 5th. Maybe that goes until October 7th. Um, I, I don't think it will go, um, you know, much later than that past like the halfway point of October. But point is, is they want to get him built up to where they can feel really good about him jumping into an offseason program and being, 100% ready to go, you know, into the 2024 season. Just to kind of backtrack and talk about what they initially had planned was it was like, okay, the day that he ended that live BP, you know, was supposed to go like 20 to 25 pitches. The next time out would have been more like 30 to 40. The next time would have been closer to 50. And then probably introducing the games in the competition. Now, because of the fact that he had to shut it down, he wasn't able to do that. And so now they just want to get that volume up. That's the big goal. Um, and as long as he can do that, I think both sides, Casey Mize and the Tigers, are going to feel really good about everything going into 2024. It's a good thing that he pressed pause when he did, because you know what? You try to pitch through that, and you try to get back, and you try to fight for the rehab assignment. You know, you could wind up in a in a really tough spot. So I think you got to tip the cap to Casey Mize for the way that he, the way that he handled that. Um, you know, trusting his body, knowing when to shut it down, knowing that then he could ramp it back up and build some volume before the season ends. And none of this, none of these setbacks are unusual and, you know, the, totally normal un, under a, under a pretty big microscope. And I don't think people should be too concerned yet about any of it. I also think I'm still that, so excited for him to come back. Oh, me too. And I think that what will transpire the rest of this year is they're going to work through these BPs again. Then I'm pretty sure there is a fall, uh, player development camp that happens in Lakeland uh, for all the minor leaguers in early October. If I remember this correctly, you correct me if I'm wrong. No, yeah, you got it. And, and, he, and he lives in Florida. So if he's got to finish up there with, you know, some extra lives there or get him a sim game or I, I don't know how yeah, they're going to do which it. I, which is exactly what I think will happen because they do play some sim games down there when they're doing this stuff. And I would expect uh, he'll get plenty of other opportunities to throw live in Lakeland in October, and they'll probably welcome the opportunity to give him a shot at doing that. And then he'll go into a normal off-season rehab. Uh, You know, so as far as Casey goes, I think uh, he'll be fine. I think his off-season will be pretty normal, probably get a lot of work in October in the Player Development League. And I think we should all be excited for 2024. All right. 
I want to talk a little bit about Matt Veerling, but first, we're going to take our last break. We'll be back in a minute. So, hot topic between you and I is uh, almost all year has been Matt Veerling. I think my feelings about Matt are pretty well at this point. Uh, he had an absolute bomb the other day for his ninth homer. Bases loaded, put a game out of reach, showed all the power we've been waiting to see all year. Um, and after the game, you had quite a long hitting discussion with him about trying to find his pull side power and might share with us a little bit about some of the things he shared with you. I think it's been a hot topic between us, Mark, since the night of January 7th, which is the day of the trade, um, because that's been on your radar from the very beginning. You put that on my radar. I put some Nick Maton stuff on your radar. You put some Donnie Sand stuff on my radar. So we've had a good back and forth about this for a while. And the big question has been like, this guy hits the ball so hard, but why is he not hitting home runs? And I dug into all the data and some of the data, like it's all back in a story that I wrote back in, in January and, you know, Listeners, you go dig that up if you want. Like the root of the problem is the guy hits the ball hard, but does not hit home runs um, as, as many as he should. And there's interesting data polls that you can look at from that. I mean, I, I went back to 2022 um, just to kind of take a, a, an example of like where this guy is at and where he could be. In 2022, Matt Veerling had a 91.2 mile per hour average exit velocity. That ranked 28th among 219 players with at least 250 balls in play. That average exit velocity, 91.2, was tied with Ronald Acuna Jr. and Albert Pujols. But among those top 28 players, because I mentioned Matt Veerling was ranked 28th among 219, his six home runs were the fewest among the top 28 players. And that's a problem, because when you hit the ball that hard, you should expect to hit more home runs. A lot of that, as we believe, comes from you know, where his hands are at in his swing and the fact that they wrap kind of behind his body before coming around. He is an artist at hitting the ball the opposite way for singles. That's like his bread and butter. He loves that about his game. I love that about his game. I think that's like a huge part of what he's able to bring to the Tigers because, you know, when you're battling deep in account and you just need to get the ball in play and hit the ball for a single or you need to draw a walk, like the play discipline is there. Um, he doesn't strike out a ton. The walk rate's solid. I like where it's at. It's not a it's not ten percent walk rate, but it's up there, and I like it. The singles are there, but again, absolutely no power, and that's what makes him an everyday player in the big leagues. Is if he's able to add power to his resume, and so he hits this grand slam, and I'm like, all right, like, you know, what what what's up with that? I mean, you just hit a 448 foot grand slam, and you absolutely beat the fastball or the front of the plate. And you crushed it. Like, we've never seen you do that before, um, or at least very rarely. And he had talked about, and, and I'm going to try to make some sense of it, but it's this get-ready-early approach that he's talking about. And so part of that is picking the spots and knowing, hey, you know, here's what I need to battle deep into counts. Here's where I can get ready early and try to take a shot. I think that's part of it. Um, but the other part of it, too, is the mechanics of it, right? It, it's, it's loading up those hands, having them ready to go, and having that quick twitch out towards the ball to be able to get to those you know, fastballs that are 94, 95, 96 miles an hour. And then when you can hit them, you're going to make damage on them because you hit the ball hard, as opposed to that long wrap where the swing is a little bit longer and it takes more time to get there. And, you know, you're going to be late or you're hitting the ball the opposite way for a single. So there's a little bit of both. It's a blend of like approach and also mechanics. Um, you know, AJ Hinch talked about the chess match between the pitcher and, and stuff like that. But I, I truly think, and I know you believe the same way, it comes down to can you do it or can you not? 
And I think Matt Vierling is trying to do it. And he's been trying to do it for his entire big league career. It's a big test for, you know, the Tigers hitting department. And it's been largely unsuccessful so far. You know, you bring in three new hitting coaches. You, 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 if you're Scott Harris, you go out and you get Matt Vierling, Nick Maton, Donnie Sands. You want to optimize them as best as possible. You think, hey, you know, the, the Phillies, like they're not going to give those guys everyday ABs because, you know, their lineup's pretty loaded. And we can get these guys trade, you know, Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens for him, and we can optimize them. We can make them better. We can make them into everyday players. That hasn't happened so far. But if Matt Vierling is able to get into that pull side power and he's able to hit, you know, 15 home runs, he becomes a guy that's in that conversation of like, hey, this this is like an everyday player. He could be a corner outfielder for you, you know, a, a every single day. And so far, he hasn't done it. So that, that's the big question, right? And it was nice to see him do that. It's nice to see that he's focused on that. He's trying to do that. That's like intentional now, whereas in the past, he wasn't really thinking about this whole get ready early type of feel to a swing. Now he's thinking about it. We'll see if that pays off. I don't think we'll know until next year, which is the sucky part of it, right? Like he kind of wanted to figure that out this year. He's gotten a ton of at-bats. So sure, like is loading up, being ready to go going to work? I think so. But again, if you're loaded up, you're ready to go, maybe you're cheating that fastball a little bit, then you're going to give up, you know, some of your other skills, which is, you know, the single to the opposite field. So it's a delicate balance and we'll see if he can find that middle ground. I'm not so sure he's going to be able to, but I, I think, you know, being intentional about it, trying to do it is definitely, you know, on the right track. Wouldn't you say? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to say a couple things here. I'm going to try to use diplomacy, which is not normally my strong suit, but be nice. Uh, here's what I got to say about it. Um, is all the athletic ability in the world, but you can't run into one three times a year and tell me you have, you know, the swing plane or the capacity to do it. You, when you run into them three times a year, those are accidents. Those aren't possibilities. So if you said to me it could take him five years to really learn how to get his pull side power um, more developed, uh, do you want to waste 2,000 at-bats trying to find out if he's going to get there? Or <laughs> would you rather sign uh, Hunter Renfro and know you're going to get 27 homers and 85 why? So RBIs? By the time he finally figures out he's a free agent? I mean, that's, well, that's know, how it would be if it really took him that long, right? right? Like, so, I mean, my, my feelings about Matt are pretty clear. I think he runs real fast and he can't steal bases. I think he doesn't play a great center field. I think he doesn't really hit home runs. I think his specialty is hitting the ball hard to right field when nobody's on base. Uh, and I think Jose Iglesias has a similar OPS and more home runs in a season than he does. And I'll just let the resume of all that speak for itself. So, but don't you appreciate that he's trying? Yeah, I do. I, I, I hope he's trying. It's his job. Should be trying, yeah. And but I, as opposed as opposed to settling for, hey, you know what? I can just be this singles guy who's going to hit you two sixty, and you know I'll draw you some walks at times, and then I'll also keep my strikeout rate low. Like he could be totally content with being that type of player, but I think he knows that there's more in the tank, and the Tigers do too. But the big question is going to be, will that ever show? Yeah, and I'm well, leaning towards no, but I, again, I'm encouraged by the fact that it's a priority for him. What I will say to you is, is that uh, everybody's trying. And, uh, you know, uh, Nick, Maton was, Nick Maton was trying to hit spin. I mean, it, it's, it's the nature of the game, dude. It's based in failure. It's based on revision. It's 
based on expanding your skill set and tweaks and hitting tweaks and making adjustments. Uh, I just want to say is right, but Mark, I'm saying at some point, at some, but at some point, a player, hang on, but at some point, what I'm saying though is I'm not saying that you know certain guys aren't trying, but at some point, as a player, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, "This is who I am. Like this is all I'm ever going to be." And I don't think he's there yet. But no, I don't think he's at some point a guy and, gets there. And, and by the way, shouldn't be there yet. But what sure. I, what, I what I'm what I'm saying about this is is look, let, let's take it in a in a situation like this, okay? Last year, um, Spencer Torkelson was really struggling to hit for power and hit fastballs, okay? And he still managed to hit uh, nine homers in 404 plate appearances, all right? And it was considered a colossal failure. Um. But we knew because he had a long history in college of being a dynamic power hitter that somewhere in there he might find some power. And what he went home and did is he made subtle swing revisions, got more athletic. We've gone over this in detail. And, well, Matt Dealing has never hit for power, if that's the point that you're making. And, and, and my point is, is that it was really difficult for somebody that had hit for power to make swing revisions that allowed him to unlock his power at this level. Now we have Matt Vierling, who's never hit for power, who we're hoping can hit not for power, but for more power. So if Matt hit 15 homers, I think we would probably find that to be pretty damn useful. You know, it, it, but, and I'm not saying he can't, I'm just saying that I've been down this road and I find it a, a low odds likelihood that this is what the outcome is. That's my nicest way of saying it. Okay. So, and I, and I think the proof's in the pudding, we're going to see, we'll see, you know, what happens next year. We won't be fooled by spring training and We'll hope that he can improve his pull side power and his ability to beat a fastball to the spot. Um, it's going to take some swing revisions, and I wish him the best of luck. All right, let's talk about something more fun than this. Uh, we're getting to the season where the Arizona Fall League is going to happen. Um, the league's not quite as good as it used to be. It's almost a hitter's paradise now. Very few pitchers really go there. Well, you just but, wait. But... Uh, I'm excited to discuss who you think is going to go. I know who I think is going to go, but I want to hear who you think is going to go. Yeah, so I got some guys that I got a pretty strong inclination that they're going to be going. Um, it's going to be, I believe, uh, Jackson Job, Dylan Smith, How Yu Lee, Jace Young, I think could be there. That That's definitely a possibility. Justice Bigby is another name. I'll be interested to see if Wilmer Flores ends up going or not. I know he's kind of had that up and down year. Doubt the injury. I, yeah, right. I think it might be better just to give him a full offseason. But again, he still he does need to eat some more innings. Like he just came off the IL. He's pitching. He just came off the IL and pitched for Erie. So like I think if you're really going to bring him back off the IL to have him pitch in the Erie postseason, maybe it's beneficial to give him a few more starts in the fall league. Got a better idea. Puerto Rico. Yeah, no, I mean... 
No, and, and that's then I was going to bring that up too because, and I'm not sure if that's Wilmer Flores or not, but I do I I do think Jackson Job is in, Dylan Smith is in. Those two make a ton of sense, and I know the Tigers wanted them to get more experience and and more innings under their belt. How Yuli had the injury, but I think he's you know so advanced for his age. That was the player the Tigers got back from the Phillies in the Mike Lorenzen deal. He's pretty advanced for his age. He's pretty young for his level too. I think that's going to be a really good test for him. Jace Young needs it because um, this guy's going to be playing for the Detroit Tigers next season in September. And, you know, who knows what could happen, but hopefully into October. And he's going to have to be able to know how to play that full season and, uh, and really grind it out. I think that's going to be a good thing for him. It was a great thing for Parker Meadows, who went through the entire minor leagues last year, played the full fall league season. And I can tell you that he's probably more refreshed now than he would have been if he hadn't had the fall league opportunity. He was gassed. He was gassed by the end of the fall league, but it was a good thing for him because I think he's fresher now um, than he would have been if he hadn't played in the fall league. Justice Bigman makes a lot of sense because you just got to keep testing that guy. You got to see what he has um, because he's a, you know, he's, he's a fun player who's had a good season. You mentioned winter ball and you mentioned Puerto Rico for Wilmer Flores. I don't know if it's, I, I don't know where, you know, Wilmer Flores actually ends up going or what he ends up doing. Maybe that's the answer for him. Um, you know, he is from Venezuela. So maybe Venezuelan winter league. I don't know if they want to do that. I, I think, I think honestly, the Dominican winter league would probably be best for him because it's the most challenging league. And and they got the best hitters over there. Guys who are either been established in the big leagues or, you know, are fresh off, you know, you know, being established in the big leagues. There are some names. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they sent Madison there too. You know, that's maybe, probably a, eh, maybe, maybe as as a reliever, maybe. get a few but, innings. But in. who I think you know who I think really needs winter ball, and you're gonna agree with me on this. He needed it last year too. Roberto Campos. I think it's time we see Roberto Campos play some winter ball. You should do some homework on that this week to find out if he will be healthy enough and what their plan for the winter is. He is, is on the IL, that's right. Yeah. He is on the IL. I don't He's, know what he's for, but we can uh, we can make a few phone calls. We got a few people to call to get an answer about that. But uh, either way, the fall league is going to be fun for the Tigers. They're sending some real dudes, which is always a blast. Like a lot of times, they send you know some pretty good position players, but then you know on the pitching side, and, and all teams do this. It's it's you know not really much to boast about when it comes to the pitchers. But I think you you send Jackson Joe to the fall league. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think you know right at the top of the list, it's going to be Joe Bigby Young. Uh, and it's as good a three-headed monster as anybody will send to the Fall League. So, all right, it's been a heck of a week. Um, we're going to have more wedding discussion because we're going to have Savannah Petzold on here to talk about the wedding at some point in time if I have to. We got to clear that with her. bosses. I know. I'm gonna if I have to offer an NIL deal to to come on here and talk. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna find out. But I want to uh, congratulate you again. You're a married you. boy. We can get to baseball. And uh, we only got two more weeks left in the season. We're going to play the Dodgers here. A series coming up starting tomorrow. Um, and we'll find out a few things about Riley Green this week. So I want to remind everybody to rate, uh, comment, and subscribe. We love to uh, see all those things, and so do our bosses. You can say as mean a stuff about me as you like, because I just don't pay any attention. So feel free to uh, say nice things about Evan, terrible things about me. Oh, he I'd reads like, the comments. <laughs> I'd like to thank our executive producer, uh, sports editor, Kurt Crawford, uh, our other executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, 
Uh, our producer, Robert Chan, who we gave plenty of work to this week. I'm sure he's going to have a good time cleaning this up. Uh, as usual, I'd like to uh, thank my grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, who I saw hit off a tee at two years old today. And there was a bat flip. So, yes, he is a Gorosh. Uh, I'd like to say to everybody, I hope you have a great week. Let's see if the Tigers can keep it rolling. And I'd like to tell you and wish you peace.